0: Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio.
1: I like the water just when it's right up to my nose and I can breathe, but I got to paddle like hell. You'll have my full focus and attention when I'm like that.
0: Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. This is an extra special pleasure for me today to welcome my sister. Yes, I consider Wendy to be my little sister. I'm much older, Wendy, as you know, so... Uh, I'm happy to give you that title in my life because of the extraordinary relationship, friendship, collaboration, and partnership that we've really forged over, I'd like to say, almost your entire career. But for our listeners, it is truly an honor to welcome Wendy Clark, the global CEO of Dentsu for International and the chief executive officer in that capacity. Wendy joined Dentsu in September of 2020. Just by way of background, before that, Wendy served as the CEO of DDB Worldwide, and previous to that, President, Sparkling Brands and Strategic Marketing for the Coca-Cola Company North America, and as well previously, where I got first the opportunity to meet Wendy, actually a little before that, as Senior Vice President of Advertising for AT&T. Not only do I consider Wendy to be such a special friend, but she has been heralded by AdAge and so many others, truly is one of the most important women in advertising. But I would like to just qualify that further and say one of the most important people in advertising. And those recognitions, including the Matrix Award, She Runs It Award, Advertising Woman of the Year, just go on and on and in addition, formally recognized in 2007 upon her induction into the American Advertising Federation's Advertising Hall of Achievement. So, Wendy, as I said, it is a great pleasure, after that long introduction, but so well-deserved, to welcome you to Good Company today.
1: Well, thank you. I feel like I'm in Good Company, and it feels very natural to be here with you, Michael.
0: Wendy, what I'd love to do is have you start by you know sharing with our listeners a bit about your background and kind of how you charted this path both personally and professionally to reach the true pinnacle of our industry as the global CEO at Dentsu the senior most executive woman in advertising full stop with a well deserved seat at that table of global CEOs of the advertising holding companies so your career started on agency then client and then agency Talk about that journey, and how do you feel about it now, and how'd you get here?
1: Uh, well, I don't think, you know, you get asked a lot of times when you're a kid, what did you want to be? And I was raised by a single mother, and, and what I do know, or what I did know back then was that I was going to work. I mean, my mom had experienced a failed marriage uh, and had... Uh, been sort of left in a in a lurch because of that and the one thing she instilled in me was you will be able to take care of yourself you will have a craft and you'll be you'll be able to you know stand on your own two feet should you need to um, and so that's from an early my earliest recollections. always that I was going to work it wasn't very clear what I was going to be and then you know just as I went through school and I loved communications and uh, you know, I actually was a writer coming out of college. I wanted to write advertising, uh, but actually ended up once I was on the agency side, flipping to account service, I, I, you know, the one thing I think important always from a, a female voice, particularly to say I'm an ambitious person. Uh, I, you know, a lot of times ambition is held against women. Um, I, I, you know, I wanted to do more. I, you know, as I got into work, I really liked it and, and it could see how I could navigate a path and, um wanted to live into, you know, what I thought I could do. Um, Along that way, I've always tried to bring people with me. It's not solely about me. Um, My, you know, very deeply held mantra is lift as you climb and bring others with you. And so, you know, I always say if, if my narrative ends up being just about me, what a massive waste that would be. So, you know, my narrative is about creating a wake around me and bringing other people with me for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I've loved every one of my jobs and the people I got to work with, you just went through so many of them. I mean, my fondest memories of people at at and who are still so close to me in my life. Um, and of course at Coke where I spent close to eight years, uh, you know, I would say, you know, Coke is, is one of those definitive places for a marketer. There's a wheat and chaff effect at Coke. Uh, and I really feel like I honed and sharpened skills while I was there. And now most recently, at DDB, a place that I genuinely just adored and loved. And, you know, I think we went on a, a pretty good run there for uh, four and a half years. And and then Densu called and uh, wasn't planning on that phone call. You're never planning on the phone call. It's never perfectly the right time. Uh, but the more I got to know Tim Andre and the team that were assembled and the capabilities that were assembled, uh, it just yeah. became harder and harder to look to look away from and really believe that, gosh, I think there's something we can do there. So.
0: So Wendy, you made that interesting transition again. You didn't start in the agency business, but you ended up in the agency business in the 90s. Then you went to the client side. I think I have that right. My recollection is you went from Bell South to an agency to AT&T. And so you were on that trajectory for many years on the client side from AT&T to Coca-Cola. And I well remember the conversations that you and I had back when you were making the decision to go to DDB and leave what some would consider a lifetime opportunity to be the president of sparkling beverages at the Coca-Cola Corporation. Mm -hmm. That was a transition. And part of the way I've described it to people, because people have asked me, because we are known to be such good friends. So I want to make sure I got it right. I've said, Wendy made the decision that she wanted to be in the C-suite in a different way. And whilst you were president of Sparkling Brands and Strategic Marketing, your trajectory was a marketing trajectory. And I'm not saying that's not an executive, but you weren't in the same way responsible for the PL like you are when you became CEO of DDB. And now that puts you on a different trajectory. And I kind of say to people, that's and I use you as a model for this many times, Wendy, that was your transition. You wanted to be in a different consideration set in your career and you're young enough and you were then and you still are that that transition was critical for you. Did I get it right?
1: You got it completely right. I'm not going to say anything else. That, that was completely right. I mean, I, I, I wanted to extend beyond, and as you say, I mean, I I'm, I will always be a marketer. I call myself a marketer. You know, my my lens is that in, in this job, I love getting, so I love being close to our clients because I love getting into their you know pernicious challenges and, and trying to figure out the, the path forward. Uh, but, but certainly I do genuinely love this seat that I've had uh, two times now where you have you know the broader levers of the business uh, that, that you're responsible for. I've, I've, I've enjoyed that. I've grown from it. It's pushed me. It's developed me. And that's, I'm the type of person. And I think just back to sort of owning my ambition earlier on, I like to be constantly challenged. I like the water just when it's right up to my nose and I can breathe, but I got to paddle like hell. You'll have my full focus and attention when I'm like that. When I get into something where, you know, I'm sort of on muscle memory, um, it's harder for me to focus. Um, so I, I love, you know, these roles that throw constant challenges at you because of the dimension of them and the intersectionality with so many aspects of the broad business. Uh, One day is not like the other. And so I I truly love that dimension of it.
0: So, Wendy, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I gave you credit for this at the beginning, but now I've stolen it. But you said something to me once about management style that really resonated with me. And my team will now know where I stole it from because I stopped giving credit to you publicly. But now I'm about to really give you credit publicly. You described your management style to me once as not being a micromanager, but being a micro-knower. Yes. And you may not not realize how that landed with me because you described yourself, but you described me. I'm not a micromanager. I had never articulated it that way, but I want to know stuff because if I know things, those levers then become more available. And it's the old adage about bad news that you don't share just becomes worse news. You know, we've all got those little homilies that we've grown up on or considered, but that one that you said to me about your management style really resonated. Could you talk about that a little? Because it's so perfect to describe you, but it's such a great management lesson, right?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I say I don't like to micromanage. I do like to micro know. Uh, that's my, and I, because I don't think any of us in these jobs like surprises. And if you don't micro know, you can get some real doozies on the surprises, right? So I just think that a visibility and that ability to understand. Ed Whitaker at ATT used to say, you got to inspect what you expect. Um, and that's sort of the same sort of mantra of just having that. Again, it, it takes two, right? You have to be willing to inspect, you've got to be willing to get into the micro know. I don't take the decisions ever from the team. That's not my style. I like to be in the mix with them. I want to know and understand, and together we'll make the decision. Um, But I I think that's the only way, especially on these very scaled enterprises, right? Density is 145 countries, 45,000 people, 11,000 clients. You know, I mean, the the, the breadth of this, if you don't micro know, can creep up on you. Uh, So you have to have that orientation. But at the same time, if every decision comes through me, that, I mean, the thing will come to a grinding halt. You simply cannot micromanage. So you got to have great people around you who can take those decisions.
0: Absolutely. And another lesson I learned from somebody when I said, well, you should get there by consensus. And the person looked at me early in my career and said, well, consensus is nice to achieve, but in management, you have to be decisive. And sometimes you can't build a consensus and you've got to make the decision that might be just more arbitrary. But sure, great. If you can build a consensus of support, you go for it. But at the end of the day, decisiveness is what rules.
1: Well, look, great teams will always have some some form of tension. If you, if we've recruited our teams properly, we don't have homogenous thinkers. We have very dimensional thinkers, and there should be good, rigorous discussion and and uh, what I would call a positive tension in our business. We shouldn't be shy of tension. We should be shy of negative tension. But you know where that comes in is that sort of great axiom of you know play the ball, not the person. So we'll we'll debate rigorously about the ball. Once we've had that discussion, we're going to line up and we're going to go. To your point, you, you can't endlessly discuss to try to you know convert people. You discuss to a point where, again, we've got that micro-knowledge. We all understand. And then, yes, it's the leader's job to make the decision and, and make sure everyone's lined up around what we're going to do.
0: So, Wendy, you onboarded to Densu in September of 2020 in the midst of the worst pandemic in a generation. That had to be tough you assumed a global role. And as I wrote that op-ed a few months ago about my chief of stuff, who I hadn't met for the first four months. And I wrote an op-ed that said, how tall is Benjamin King? And does it really matter? Because I dealt with him for four months, hired him to a highly important position in my life. You were there the first day that I hired the first chief of stuff 13 years ago. So, you know, The importance of that role in my life and here's somebody i put into that role and i never met other than like this and the joke was i didn't know how tall he was because i'd never seen him stand up and so we made a joke out of it and then lo and behold when i did meet him the great reveal happened in april after he joined me four months earlier and i said you're not allowed to tell me this is going to be a guessing game and sure enough i meet him before a breakfast and I get out of my car in New York and he gets there and he's standing there and I had him pegged at five nine and he's six foot two. And it was like, what the you know, <laughs> my point is, it wasn't important, but it's just part of the onboarding during a pandemic. How did that work for you? You need to do assume the most senior role with an organization that you effectively never met.
1: Well, I mean, it's unthinkable, really. Right. I mean, and and. um You know, I I accepted the job and resigned in February of 2020, really as this pandemic was just, it was this thing in China we were hearing about, right? It just hadn't, and so when I accepted the role, I didn't, I wasn't anticipating this with how I'd start. I had some gardening leave and so didn't get to start until September. But but really, I'll tell you what, that summer was one of the hardest summers of my career, not from a working perspective, because I obviously wasn't working, but sitting watching this business under the pressure of, and of course having, you know, demonstrable impact to the business, and obviously being able to do nothing about it, uh, was really, really challenging. But started in September. I mean, I, you know, has sort of jokingly said until I started traveling lately, I, I'd met le- less than twenty people at the company. Uh, we have forty-five thousand people in Denso International. Um, and I mean, it's just an extraordinary thought. And certainly for someone like me, who was used to being on a plane every week and being in our offices and being with our clients, and I realized how much of my playbook being in person with people was, it was very hard. And just like you, recruiting people across a camera. I mean, Fred LeVron joined us this year. I mean, one, you know, one of the biggest hires I'll make as our global chief creative officer. Fred and I have never met in person. Well, we have now. We just met three weeks ago when he started November 1st. But, you know, imagine trying to, you know, really bring and persuade an executive out of a role through a camera and just, you know, I mean, I say it like half the time, I feel like I'm actually coming through this thing. <laughs> I'm just trying to will people uh, to, to, you know, feel how I feel. And um, that that was hard. But, but on the other hand, and I give our, our comms team a tremendous amount of credit, we just went on a I was just call it a crusade internally around communications. If we cannot be together, we had to generate the feeling that you would feel if we were. And so we, you know, I mean, every month I do live conversations with the entire organization. They can come, they can ask any question they want. They can ask it anonymously. And we answer the most voted up question. We do that every single month, every single month. We also get the top 900 leaders together in a smaller, tighter fashion. But again, Open forum discussions, really facing into the issues, facing into the camera, the same way you would if you were in an office and able to be with people. So, we really tried to recreate the feeling of accessibility, of care, of togetherness for each other and the business. Uh, by the way, I mean, obviously, I think one of the biggest challenges coming out of this is the concerns around the mental well being of our people. It, you know, one of the things that keeps me up at night, how can we create a sense of closeness with our people that we'd otherwise be able to observe if we were in the hallways, in the bathroom, sitting side by side together. We've just really had to sort of take that mantle. And again, give credit to the leaders in the company who had to make massive adjustments in the way they worked. But in our employee engagement surveys through this period, so both last year and now we just did this year's, our highest scores in the last three or four years have happened during a pandemic, which would be unthinkable. But I really believe it's because we've taken such an aggressive stance on trying to recreate that closeness as much as we could.
0: And Wendy, we're, we're on the heels of and maybe in the midst of this so-called Great Resignation. And we're seeing it. I think the last month's number was 4.4 million people in the United States quit their jobs and the month before was 4.3 million. I mean, it's, you're talking about 8 million, you know, plus or minus almost 8 million people. I don't think they're permanently leaving the workforce, but they're changing jobs. Some of that is from that mental health kind of, I want to change. There's another way. I need a balance, whatever it is, but that is not icing on the cake. It's fuel on the fire of a dearth of talent that's impacting, you know, we see it in our day jobs for sure, but Go to a restaurant, try to get service somewhere, there's not enough help, there's not enough staff, there's not enough of this or that.
1: Yeah, it's you're feeling crazy. it, our our clients are feeling it. I have clients asking me if we can succumb people to them. So it's not, I mean, we're we're all feeling this this pinch, but look, I, I have a lot of feelings about this, among other things. Um, I you know, I think we yes, it's being written as the great resignation. I think as leaders, we have to take a minute here and wonder if it isn't indeed the great reckoning or the great reappraisal on our leadership? And are we really effectively leading our companies the way that we should be? And I do think that there's a a generational divide that we've got to acknowledge here. Um, I, I quote Fast Company, it says in the next five years, two thirds of the workforce will be millennial and Gen Z. So just think about that for a minute. And that's what we're really sensing and feeling is this generational difference and what you and I, Michael, might have done to build our careers, and what their willingness may be for their careers. And so, there are a few things that I point to very quickly. Number one, we of other generations have to let go of this rite of passage uh, that, that sort we hold out there. And I, you know, I exaggerate this to a certain degree, but I can, I, you and I could recount the stories and the sacrifices that we've made to achieve where what we have done. You know, perhaps most notably, I'll say. Of I've had three maternity leaves. In total, I've taken 35 weeks out of the business for three maternity leaves, and they're not triplets, right? I mean, it's an extraordinary statement to say that. When you, when you think about that, you say, that's extraordinary. I went back to work each time before my clothes fit. I mean, just think <laughs> about that for a minute. Now, you and I might look at that and people from our generation and go, look at her, she went right back in, right? The, if you talk to the next generation, they look at me like I'm absurd. They see nothing respectable about that. They think I made a false choice. And so we've got to flip the mindset here. So number one, holding our rite of passage and all the things we did out to the next generation, not interested, and they're not going to do it. Number two, I think with companies, we've got to make sure that these lovely narratives that we talk about being great places to work and how we put people first, invest in people, that there's actually real actions behind that. Um, you know we we need to really interrogate our parental leaves we really need to interrogate our work environments and the the policies and that we that we engage with our employees under and really make sure the narrative and the actions match. number three on the agency side, we can't make proper progress without partnership with clients. We still have clients who call last minute and have our teams working through the night or working over the weekends and again, you know, all of our clients want our best and brightest people. Um, we know and understand that implicitly, but the best and the brightest from the upcoming generations are simply not going to work in a way that people on the agency side once did. Of course, there are occasional needs, and that's fine, but this cannot be the way that you work on an ongoing basis. We will we we will simply not be able to attract yeah. talent. The final point I was gonna make of the four, which is about being purpose-based and, and as companies and having a real you know mission and purpose beyond making money is going to be important to these next generations is important they're already advocating it we have to live into our sustainability commitments i mean there is we have wired in advocacy in our organization in these again millennials gen z very very serious about our social impact and sustainability so jumping on a plane for lunch is highly unacceptable now you just don't do that just for the planet's sake If nothing else, if you don't care about your personal health, care about the planet's health. And so, again, this is an entire referendum and an entire reckoning for us as we're seeing the the cross generations now.
0: I love I will steal from you in addition to micromanage, micro no, I'm going to steal great reckoning as opposed to great resignation, because I think that's exactly right. You're looking at through a different lens, but that's the proper lens to look at because people are rethinking Back to that. It's not a badge of honor. I'll give you the concept that I have always applied it to. I've always thought the Europeans had a great idea with the gap year. The gap year is actually a brilliant idea. For those of you who don't know, that gap year was that year after high school, before you went to university or whatever your next move was. You know, a a lot of the folks that I know in the UK particularly, gap year was a big concept. And I used to joke, again, badge of honor. Yeah, I took a gap. I took a gap minute. I went from college to law school to graduate school to married to kids to work. Yeah. I took a yeah. gap minute somewhere. Yeah. I'm not sure I made the right choice. That gap year, think, yeah. that gap year would have been a good thing to do. That gap moment was probably not enough for me to reflect and make the right choices in my life and thankfully I did more, you know, more correct choices than not correct choices, but again that that reckoning is a reckoning from management, but it's also a reckoning of one's priorities.
1: So, so let's connect the two thoughts and, and maybe think that there are people taking a gap year at the moment during this great reappraisal or great reckoning, and that we've got an opportunity to invite them back by being better companies.
0: Ab- absolutely. Wendy, as we talk about the workforce, it is not a secret to anybody that we are at a moment of reckoning in terms of the diversity issues. That we are facing as an industry, but as a as a as a world, as a community, not just our business. Every business is facing that same, looking through that same lens right now, and we all understand. And you and I have had this conversation for a long time that it is critical for us to open the aperture as we look at the pools of talent and and whatnot. My understanding, and I, I may have my numbers a little off, but. 53% of Dentsu's global workforce identify as female and 40% of your executive leadership in a singular way identify themselves as female already. What about the other side of the diversity and inclusion? What about not just gender diversity and inclusion, but you know ethnicity and all the things that, and, and I don't say all the things like they're grouped because they're not.
1: Yeah, it's expansive, right? So, I mean, this goes back to that notion of having really dimensional teams and having that lived experience. So, whether it's your sexuality or your ethnicity or your gender ability slash disability, right? We want the full breadth of lived experiences. I think one of the more um, hidden aspects of diversity, certainly for our industry, is socioeconomic diversity. I think we we, we don't recruit nearly well enough out of low, lower socioeconomic uh, talent. Uh, and that's one of the programs Dentsu set up with the code where we're going into reaching teens that are coming out of school and or, you know, heading into technical school and giving them digital capabilities and training and skills so they can port into our industry. So they're invited into our industry. They might not go to college. That's okay. We can skill train off a base of those that sort of 16, 18 year old coming out of school. And that's, you know, that's one of the things we're deliberately doing to bring again, that dimension and diversity to our, to our team. So, we have to think about it in the fullest sense because, I mean, I don't have to tell anyone on this podcast or certainly you, Michael, study after study after study says the more diverse and dimensional team, the better your business outcomes. I mean, this is this is proven time and again. So we all want better business outcomes. Right. And so and that's going to come surprise, surprise by people with these fully lived lives and experiences that they bring into the workplace. And we get into those big rigorous discussions about doing the right thing for the brand, because we all think about it differently. It's brilliant. It's the best thing we can possibly do for our businesses. So I have obviously a very strong orientation and desire to do this. Um, You know, we're a global company. When I, for instance, when I was recruiting Fred, you know, it was really important to me to make my best effort to not, recruit an American. I felt that that was really important given that I was American and I knew we were going to work together as much as we were. It felt like the right thing to be reflective of, you know, our broader company. Um, You know, also obviously was looking for every aspect of diversity of anyone who would come into that conversation, but, you know, notably knew that we wanted a global perspective from, from that role. So I think you've just got to be outward about it. I think you've got to state it and put it out there and say what you will and won't accept, and what and what the teams most need and look at these teams and really have that discussion and debate with one another. What's missing here? what out of our collective experiences and knowledge, what are we missing? what could what could we take advantage of by making sure we invite that to our table? So, It's uh, we've made that that ambition public we will be 50-50 men and women um, back to the gender point by 2025. Uh, It's a publicly stated ambition from my direct reports on down every level, not taken in aggregate. That's no that's no use. Right. We've got to get to layer by layer and make sure we're bringing women through the funnel of the business. And we have similar BIPOC goals uh, in the U.S. to be 30 percent BIPOC. Um, So we're really putting these ambitions out and stating them so that, number one, our teams are very clear, but that there's also accountability, right? So not hidden agendas. It's a very public agenda.
0: I've talked about things I've learned from you. I hope you've learned from me that expression that I use frequently, which is don't read people's lips, watch their feet. And and what you've just said is just don't listen to what I'm saying, watch what I'm doing. And you're doing it and, and that speaks volumes to who you are as a person. You know, Wendy, I had you come and speak to the MediaLink annual meeting many years ago and you talked about something that that really stuck with our team and I still quote it and, and that one I still give you credit for all the time, just so you know. But you talked about when you were at the Coca-Cola company at that time and you talked about the need that you had as a marketer not to see point solutions but to see end-to-end solutions. And that was your view of life and business. And and I know that still is your view. You need to look at a problem and you don't want to just solve this part of it. You want to look at the continuum or that end-to-end solution. You've translated that well in your career, but talk about that for a moment in terms of how you look at a client's challenges. You've been the client. I always feel like my advantage In a consultative role at MediaLink is that I've been in the shoes of the people that I'm advising. So I'm not somebody who's just looked at it and admired a problem. I've actually been in the problem. So I've been in, quote, your shoes. You similarly have been in the shoes of the, the clients you're serving, you know, in your global CEO role does that help you solve those problems because you understand them better and you can relate to them better? You've walked in their shoes.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, what I, I mean, everyone at density that I've had the opportunity to work with will know about I sort of have named my alter ego Connie client. Cause you know, I, I really do slip into this sort of client alter ego um, where I'm just looking at, at what we're, what we're recommending or what we're doing. And it is of course, very easy for me to, slip right back in that sleep. And, and frankly, as I said, I describe myself as a marketer. I think once a marketer, always a marketer. I mean, it's, it is my comfort level. There's no question of, of, you know, being in that role and that seat. So yeah, I mean, I think that that has been an advantage. I call myself bilingual a lot. Uh, and I speak client and agency, which I think has been helpful. Um, the other joke was, you know, whenever you're looking for me, it's like she's in her office negotiating with herself. That was the when I came from the GSTNN to AT&T. That's what Scott Perkins said. I was in my office negotiating with myself. Um, so, you know, I, however you want to phrase it, I think for sure um, that has been helpful. Back to the nature of sort of end to end. I mean, look, the, the point is there are more ways to engage a consumer than ever before. Right? It's an exponential amount of ways to engage a consumer now. So it's not a one for one it's not oh now we have you know such and such platform away and th- and this one goes away no there's just more um, and so if you're a client you find yourself with more and more partners you know more more complex plans pro- by the way probably a constrained budget most likely where you're trying to make good decisions around you know an ever expanding universe of ways to reach those consumers and so the notion of being integrated and end to end in nature is really critical and that's you know, the course we've set Densu on, we had 160 agencies, we've been really clear. That's that's not, there's not an easy user guide to coming to use Densu if you've got 160 agencies. And I always lean on Mark Pritchard in this moment who said, you know, very clearly to the agency a few years ago at a speech, your complexity should not be my problem. And that's how I felt as a client. All of this complexity and all of these agencies and all these capabilities, make it easy for me, make it end to end, integrate, show me the handoffs show me how i get some you know benefit by lack of redundancy and duplication because you're so seamless and you're so integrated that 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 was very much my feeling when i was a client i you know you hear it from people like mark and others and yes i think that's really when i say end to end it's the seamless handoff and integration of all the ways to reach engage consumers and and, you know that that is keeping with the ever-expanding ecosystem of touchpoints
0: well Wendy, you know, I could spend a day or two or longer just, you know, learning from you and poking around. But unfortunately, we don't have days to do this. These good company conversations, unfortunately, have a beginning, a middle and an end. But before we get to the end, what I'd love to say is here we are on November of 2021. No one would have expected the 18 months or so we've just come through If you had to make some predictions about how our business will look, you know, 18 months from now or pick a time in the future, if you're looking around the corner or over the horizon, what do you see? Is there something that just jumps off the page at you as this is what what I see or that's what I see? And, you know, if you could share that with us as as I bid you would do, it would be a great end to an extraordinary conversation.
1: Well, sure. Thank you for that entree. I mean, I'm, I'm really bullish on the practice of, of marketing and communications. I, again, I've been in the business 30 years. I can't imagine a time where any client, any company, doesn't have room for great ideas that is going to build their business and deliver them the growth that they're looking for. And, and you know, I always used to say it as a client, whether it comes from an agency or a cooperative or a collective, or, you know, we can put all these fancy names on what we're doing. Great ideas will always be welcome from companies to build their business. And and that's what we want to do. And so I I believe there's a role for our industry. And I believe that we're going to live into that. I love how we're expanding now. I mean, obviously, we're growing by leaps and bounds in this consumer experience management space. We're double-digit growth in that space. We're going to continue to make acquisitions in that space so that the growth around commerce and the growth around MarTech and cloud solutions that that expansion in our industry is fascinating, but it it is and of itself, not a solution. So that's where we get to that end-to-end nature because we now are doing the data and digital transformation consulting. That then results in a plan that we go to market and we can do the investment plan across media. We do the execution plan across our creative. And that's when you get to these really, you know, expansive solutions for businesses. It gets me excited. I think 18 months from now, you know, we'll be fully into those integrated solutions, no, no question to me. We're going to be driving further and deeper into the transformation aspects and the, the commerce and the, the cloud based solutions in our business. And I think most notably, we've got to acknowledge how important sustainability is going to be. There is absolutely no question that brands moving forward and companies moving forward will be judged by how much of a force for good they are, as well as a force for growth. So, those would be my three things I would say 18 months from now.
0: Well, as always, Wendy, spending time with you makes me a smarter person, and uh, I'm certain our audience will share that view. It was a great pleasure to have you as good company because you are extraordinarily good company. And Wendy Clark, I want to thank you.
1: Thank you, Michael. It's delightful to be here, and I equally learn from you. So good, good time, well spent, and I enjoyed
0: it. I'm Michael Casson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming
1: amazing talent and content.